At what point do you think we checked out on today's show? It's a three-day weekend. Usually, we check out the day before Friday. Yeah, I was going to say Tuesday was my <laughs> line. Uh, which is interesting because I had Monday off. Yeah, right. So, right. Uh, it's not yeah. necessarily a great week yeah. of work. But, uh, no, today is a great, great show. You don't want to miss it. Uh, everything from uh, a passionate plea to attorneys to a really passionate remembrance for those who have fallen uh, and our service members uh, to all the ways you can be a federal criminal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of ways. Also, Chip and Joanna make an appearance, at least in name, uh, when we're talking about the Target thing. There's something new happening with Target. Uh, And, of course, the corruption with the DOJ. I mean, so you got it all. This is good eating. This is a buffet. I'll take a little of that and a little of that. And you are now just going to, you're going to loosen that belt and sit back afterwards and just sleep like you've never slept before. All on the podcast brought to you by Relief Factor. I mean, look, you want to get out of pain, okay? I'm tired of talking about it. I really am. Your pain is becoming my pain because the sooner you buy Relief Factor, the sooner I don't... (laughs) may not work out to my advantage i don't have to talk about this uh, sponsor anymore i don't have to talk about relief factor we could be done with all of these commercials is if if it wasn't for you not ordering relief factor now order it get out of pain get your life back i'm tired of it feel the difference call the number four relief 800 the number four relief or relieffactor.com If I have to repeat myself and pull this car over, you will be sorry. Here's the podcast. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. Welcome to the uh, Glenn Beck program. It is Friday. I want to give you some good news. There There are lots of things that you are winning on a lot of court battles that you are winning on. If you missed the first hour of this podcast broadcast, you need to go back and listen to my, my call to an attorney. Um, We need to uh, understand what you're fighting against and what you are fighting against are people who are perverting the constitution and going around all of their powers that are legally prescribed and doing anything they want. The way to fight that is not through angry words or anything else, but through the court system. And shame on all you attorneys that won't stand up. Shame on you. You, you should be form, forming uh, uh, your firms with the people who think like you do, And amassing the biggest list of attorneys that are like, you know what? I've had enough. My country is worth more than my money or prestige. You will be remembered as a friend to freedom. Now, let me introduce you to one of the attorneys who is like that. uh, Chris uh, Shandevel. He is uh, with the Alliance Defending Freedom. He is senior counsel. Chris, we talked to you guys, uh, what was it, about a month ago uh, about a case you were battling in New Mexico with, the, with doctors 
um, and uh, and what New Mexico is trying to force doctors to do. And you had just won that case. And you mentioned that you were in another case similar to it in California. Can you tell us the case? Sure. So there in New Mexico, uh, we had just won a case. Um, essentially, we filed a lawsuit um, on behalf of uh, medical professionals there in the state who who said, listen, um, we cannot in good conscience help our patients kill themselves. And that is what the law there would have required them to do. As a result of that lawsuit, as we discussed last week, the New Mexico legislature actually amended their law um, to take away those requirements that would have forced those doctors to participate in that process. So we were thrilled about that result and happy to bring you that good news uh, there, like you said, about a month ago. Um, and now in California, uh, we're back and we're celebrating again uh, a really excellent victory that we were able to achieve on behalf of a group of doctors there um, who, again, were challenging a very similar law uh, that would have required them um, if a patient of theirs expressed a desire to obtain lethal drugs uh, to kill themselves, uh, even if those doctors, you know, believe that the medical profession is about helping and healing and not hurting and killing. So they, they have a conscience objection to uh, assisting in that process of their patients kill them, killing themselves. Uh, those doctors still, under these new changes to the law, would have been required to document that first oral request for those lethal drugs in that patient's medical record. Uh, and that is significant under the law because it's the first step in the process of those patients obtaining those lethal drugs. Uh, and so we filed a lawsuit on their behalf and, and we're just so thrilled um, to report that we've settled that lawsuit with the state of California. They have agreed to not require a single uh, physician anywhere in the state of California uh, to be forced against their will to participate in that process of helping their patients commit suicide. And so it really is a sweeping victory. We have Dr. Leslie Cochran on, who was um, named in this suit um, and uh, a plaintiff in the um, uh, Medical and Dental Association versus uh, Bonta, I think it, it was. Uh, Leslie, doctor, welcome. Dr. Cochran, are you there? Okay, he's not there. Um, well, Chris, good job on this. Now, my concern is that, you know, I, I'm a, an amateur uh, self-taught historian. My concern is everything that Dr. Mengele did in the 1930s and 40s was up to the law. Uh, it was all legal, all those experiments, everything. Um, and they started killing children early on. And then the people found out and they supposedly stopped it. But the medical world behind the backs of the people just kept doing it anyway. I'm concerned about the people that could be weeded out at the uh, medical school level. Are, are, are there any blocks for people that have, you know, uh, Christian beliefs or don't believe in all this woke garbage? Are they being held back? Is there anybody watching what's being what's happening in the medical schools? Well, sure. I, mean, I think that is a, a real concern that we should we should uh, care about and, and, and be be vigilant about. And I, and I think it really starts with, you know, if if uh, they are able to if this radical 
um, really pro-death agenda is able to weaponize uh, the medical profession uh, to advance this agenda um, through legalizing uh, physician-assisted suicide, uh, through legally compelling doctors to participate uh, in that practice. Uh, then the medical schools can say, you know, listen, we're just we're just enforcing uh, the laws of our state by requiring our medical students to agree to participate in these practices. Right. Uh, right. So we we really have to be attacking these laws head on. Yes. Um, you know, not just saying, oh well, I, I guess we'll go along to get along, or you know, maybe we'll just you know have some of our doctors leave the state of California and go to other mm-hmm. states where they can practice medicine in good conscience, because the result is. Um, you know, that leaves <laughs> all of the, the result is death. And, yeah. that, and the result is that their patients are left behind right. uh, with doctors who will participate in the practice of helping them kill themselves. Okay. I'm, I'm told that we have Leslie on now. Doctor, are you there? Yes. Okay. So you are a full-time hospice uh, physician. When this came down and you were told you must provide the information, what happens, what happens now when a, when a patient says that to you? Well, uh, we normally, as, as physicians, especially hospice physicians, we're talking to people every day about end-of-life issues. And, and since this law became, in fact, the End-of-Life Option Act initially became a law uh, beginning in 2016, I would essentially be able to talk to my patient and say, let's talk about what your issues are and what you're concerned about uh, you know, death uh, or physician assisted suicide was never on the table of one of the things that I would ever recommend as a physician as a way to treat someone's symptoms. This uh, new law that, that twisted and removed the protection that had been there for me before uh, basically put me in the position of either choosing to violate the law and telling the patient, no, I am not going to participate in physician assisted suicide that would have essentially uh, been something I wouldn't have been allowed to do. I would have had to uh, participate in the conversation with the patient, uh, take down their request uh, and and note their request in the medical record and then refer them to a physician that would fulfill that request. And and of course, that is something that myself and and many other physicians would, would be a violation of their conscience, of their professional ethics and their values. And I would have been forced to violate the law or to quit practicing medicine in the state of California, it both is, of which are unacceptable. It is. Well, you should get out of California for a myriad of reasons. But um, the uh, uh, the amazing thing is, is uh, everything that is happening right right now is not uh, it, it is being forced. Individuals are being forced to participate it, no matter what your conscience says. You are forced to participate. And that's just that goes against God, I think. But it also goes against the the American understanding of everything that is is right and decent. No, you're not forcing me to do something against my will. Uh, And it's a it's a little terrifying. But I'm glad you won this. Thank you for standing up. Has it has it cost you and has it been worth standing up and, and fighting in California? Well, it's worth standing up and fighting. And to, to tell you the truth, uh, you know, physicians, if we, don't, if we don't stand up for something that we know is wrong or bad or harmful, you know, to violate our conscience and to participate in a process that we think would be 
uh, unethical, you know, that's a disservice to the frail, the weak and the elderly, mm-hmm. because what, you know, it starts with uh, it starts with a choice and, and you don't have to look beyond our northern border to see in Canada where you move from physician assisted suicide very quickly into euthanasia and and then even into Europe where euthanasia without consent can occur. So it is it's important terrifying. for doctors and people of, of conscience to stand up and say, no, um, I was sworn to protect and to help heal my patients. I refuse to participate in their death, uh, to knowingly give them a medication that they're going to use to end their life. Uh, Dr. Chris, thank you very much. Thanks for the great update. Keep fighting. If you would like to support the Alliance Defending Freedom, this is a group of really good attorneys that are going out and they are fighting for rights. You can make a uh, donation and find out more about them at ADFlegal.org. That's ADFlegal.org. Thanks, guys. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. And don't forget, rate us on iTunes. My brother from another mother, Adam Curry. How are you, sir? (laughs) Uh, Glenn, twice in one week. I I don't know what's happening. I know. It's crazy. Well, I have such a long list of things to talk to you. By the way, that podcast is off the charts. Off the charts. Good. you know, it, it was a lot of fun, and you're a very gracious host. Your staff is so wonderful, and really, I think we could just talk, you know, without cameras or oh. microphones or anything. We just talk anytime about anything. I love it. I know, and we don't necessarily agree on everything, but that's totally cool. I mean, I, th- I find you a smart, reasonable human being, uh, and I learn something from you every time. Anyway, um, one thing that we didn't get to. Uh, in the podcast, which, by the way, Adam Curry is the podcast this weekend, wherever you get your podcast tomorrow, also on YouTube and Blaze TV. It's already there. Um, the one thing we didn't get to is something that I just can't figure out in on in two directions. One, if 15 years ago, 20 years ago, we would have said, uh, yes, and spokespeople from the Pentagon uh, have verified that aliens uh, are circling the planet and tracking uh, our nuclear sites, and we even have a piece of alien technology. That would have been a big deal. But now, the, now <laughs> yeah. they're saying this, and nobody cares. And I don't know if you're just so focused on other things, if people don't believe it, if we should believe it. What, what's going on with the alien thing? Oh, well, it's interesting you say 15 years ago, because that's literally about the timeline when I started with No Agenda and when I started looking into, uh, into conspiracies. Uh, so-called conspiracies. And and I really decided pretty quickly that I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm a conspiracy therapist. And this whole, this whole, and I actually, I did, I did a lot of, I was living in uh, the UK at the time and uh, I was very into, you know, aliens and the tall, the, the tall blondes and the grays and all of this stuff. And I flew to places to meet people who claim to, you know, know an alien. And I never got any, any confirmation whatsoever. We are at a tipping point in America with 400,000 children in the U.S. foster care system and a quarter of those awaiting a forever family, Christians must step up. This is Jack Graham, senior pastor at Prestonwood Baptist Church, inviting you to Chosen, a summit addressing these urgent needs on Saturday, April 13th. 
Chosen will empower churches to begin foster care and adoption ministries and equip families who are adopting or fostering. We have great speakers joining me, including Sadie Robertson Huff and Governor Greg Abbott of the great state of Texas, along with dozens of breakout sessions. I urge you to join us and help make a difference in the lives of these precious children. Register at Prestonwood.org slash chosen. And you're right. It's That's also, I think, because the media is so, um, you know, everything is media now. It's not just, you know, Walter Cronkite saying, hey, look, uh, these uh, these pilots are saying that they've seen UFOs. Um, so I have looked into this and. Um, there's, there's part logical explanation. And then there is of course, a conspiracy that goes along with it. And what we've seen, um, since I think 2014 is a lot of radar images, you know, the Tic Tac, we've seen, uh, um, radar images from submarines where things appear and then disappear. And we've seen actual, we've seen actual footage, they say from, uh, uh, fighter pilots and, uh, Navy and air force pilots recording these things, doing things that are way beyond technology, at least that we know of? Well, this technology actually has been discussed openly. And it's, again, notice that the footage we're seeing is radar footage. It's not cameras that are taking a picture of this thing flying and you know at unbelievable speeds going under the water etc it's radar footage and i it was a harvard professor who in the 70s um started talking about this his name is Rob, professor robert duncan what this really is these this particular uh, phenomenon which i can speak to they're directed energy weapons and i'm, I'm not talking about laser beams that melt you or anything but much more like a laser pointer uh, in the sky, and they excite the electrons in the atmosphere, so this ionization that takes place. And this shows up on radar, and this is military technology that was created to make a fleet appear all of a sudden. So the the concept was um, you make this sh- all these ships appear all of a sudden, our adversary, wherever they would be, would see this, would you know get their fighter planes in the air and go off and try to attack them, then they disappear, and then we would come in from the other directions and attack that flank. Um, and you know, it really is nothing more than that. It's really good technology because it actually leaves radar traces. It's like, it's almost like a laser pointer in the sky. And that's, and if you think about that tic tac, like you're the cat in the fighter plane, you look yeah. at your radar, you see this thing and it goes whoop, under the water and all over the place. And it does things that seem, uh, um, impossible. Now the conspiracy part of this is something called project blue beam. Have you ever heard of that? No. So Project Bluebeam, um, the idea, and this developed over time as well, is that this very technology would be used to create the voice of God, um, and it could be used two ways: uh, one to bring the whole world together, you know, new world order, everybody uh, all focused on one thing, which would either be the common enemy, you right. know, oh, the aliens are coming, or right. the voice of God, which you could also you can use the same technology to create sound waves which would bring a message to unite the world. Uh, and, and I'm pretty steadfast in, in believing that this is what this is, this is about. Now, why people aren't freaking out about it, um, there's so much to freak about, out about. <laughs> no, I know, I know. But, people are obsessed with Target. <laughs> yeah, I know. But Target versus alien life that is here 
seems uh, I would I would tip the scales towards the alien life thing. Um, but uh, I, I just can't figure it. I, I just can't figure it out. And why? Why is the government making such a big deal? The Pentagon and the leaks and then the officials coming out and saying what they are. Congress and then no one picking it up. It just it just seems really odd. Yeah, I, I can the, the speaking to the, the military and Congress, that to me would be the blue beam part of it saying, hey, you know, let's get everyone either a very afraid, which is kind of the model, you know, oh, aliens, uh, or let's unite everybody under one common voice of God, you know, like Reagan, you know, let's get everyone together. Um, why people don't care about it? I mean, that that literally just has to be because we're so used to fake everything we're looking at screens all day that is not reality we see imagery that is you know created by you know ai call it photoshop ai whatever you want we see uh, i mean we're so used to things that are just not real i think we've become anesthetized against it and like eh, whatever yeah we can handle that mm. bring us aliens maybe people will be happy to see it mm. um let me take you to some news uh today um uh, Comer and the House Oversight Committee says that um, there is a $5 million bribe that Joe Biden took. The FBI has a case on it. It's open. Uh, they've buried it. He is saying, I'm going to hold you in contempt if you don't uh, release those documents because of a whistleblower. Uh, the DOJ has dropped charges against the Soros-backed Massachusetts DA, who was caught lying under oath and meddling in an election. Um, highly illegal. She was uh, going to be uh, resigning her post. DOJ has dropped all charges on that. Then you have Stuart Rhodes, the guy from Oath, Oath Keepers, who, you know, I don't think is a good guy, but he didn't bring a weapon, didn't enter the Capitol, didn't harm anybody, wasn't arrested for a year, and he got 18 years in prison. Uh, I think we have a problem <laughs> with our DOJ, uh, is this fixable? I know we talked in, in the podcast about you know, your uncle and the CIA, and so we went in pretty deep on uh, you know what the CIA has been responsible for in the past, and I hope people start to care about it. Um, but is is this too far gone? Well, the sooner, as, as we discussed in the podcast, the sooner we all realize how captured everything is, all of our institutions, the sooner we can realize that not only can we change it, we actually, we have the power to change these things. Um, even Congress, by, by definition of superpower, I'm not saying that you need to get money out of politics, but also these institutions are also completely captured. I mean, even even just to get on a committee, you need one or two million bucks to give to your party. I mean, that you get that by raising money, you get that by pandering to certain uh, uh, certain audiences, et cetera. Um, nothing will change unless we seriously understand that we have all the power within our hands. I know it sounds like a very simple thing, but we can, I mean, look, we were able to, through crowdfunding, create devices that we want. We're able to create the media that we want. We're slowly starting to realize, and I think Tucker Carlson was the tipping point in my mind, that media, mainstream media is over. 
It's, mm-hmm. it's done. It's toast. It is. It's, it do, it's irrelevant. The Blaze is a fantastic uh, example of that. In, in fact, I think you know people are like, oh, well, Elon Musk hired Tucker. I don't think so. I think Tucker's going to pay Elon Musk. I think it's the other way around. Mm. You know, this this is the new model. You know, this it's about the distribution that you that you have in your own hand, and people are in one um, in one way they are splitting off and and getting into the smaller groups, which I think is just fine. But when we realize how much power we have to support our own media, to support our own institutions, to homeschool our kids, whatever we want to do, the sooner we will realize that we also have the power to elect people that uh, we actually want and who will make change. With that comes the important Chevron decision. Have you been following this, the, the Chevron deference case that's going to the yes. Supreme Court? Yes. This is this. I mean, it's, it's kind of they've tried to do it before. But it's very interesting if this, and this is a different Supreme Court, obviously, um, if they overturn this Chevron deference, that means that um, ambiguous laws that Congress creates, uh, it can be for any agency, uh, which would be EPA, but it can also be DOJ, it can be the, the EPA, we're already seeing things changing there, that uh, Congress will either have to clarify it or the Supreme Court and federal courts can step in and say, no, you're overstepping your boundary. You're not following the law. And the toughest one will be the Department of Justice, of course. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. Well, in a couple of weeks, uh, you could be a felon if you have one of those evil guns that for years have been totally legal. You know, the one with uh, pistol braces. Uh, if you have one and you haven't told the government, even though I would never tell the government, uh, if you have one of these, which were perfectly legal until Biden came in and was like, hey, what do you think we could take away some guns? Uh, if you don't destroy that pistol brace, uh, you're going to be a felon, a felon. That's awesome. Now, how many of these pistol braces are out there? Because we've talked about it for a while, and, you know, they're kind of, you know, it's a niche kind of thing, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, how many few, do you think? Well, it would be a lot if you saw, if, if you know, how many felons is the government going to make overnight? A few hundred thousand? A few hundred thousand. Well, you're close. Forty million. <laughs> 40 million of these braced oh weapons are in circulation today. That's more than AR-15s. Yeah. 40 million felons. Oh the good thing is they can't arrest us all because they don't have the prison space. <laughs> Yay! Yay! Uh, Do you believe that? Uh, no, I did not know the number was that high. Yeah. I, don't, I still don't even, I will be honest, don't even understand what these weapons are. Like, I don't know. I'm going about- to bring my friends in. I'll show you. You have your friend has a weapon like this. My friend has okay. a weapon. Like he might that, be a felon yeah. soon, you know, but not here in not Texas here in because Texas. they did. Oh, right. They did have a uh, some sort of stay right. for Texas, Mississippi, in Louisiana. And I know you're disappointed now, Glenn, because now you can't be the federal criminal you wanted to be. Um, I wanted I know to be. A... You have a real desire to check out the inner workings of the federal prison system. <laughs> oh, you and, got that uh, right. <laughs> and I yeah. want you to know you don't have to be completely disappointed. Really? Yes. Because there there's is a, another way. Yeah, yes. I can commit another felony? Oh, there's so many. Really? There's so many ways for you to get into federal prison. Wow. Okay. In fact, there's a book that outlines exactly how to do this. It's called uh... <laughs> How to Become a Federal Criminal. 
an illustrated handbook for the aspiring offender. Oh, this is Mike Chase, book, is. right? Yes. Okay, I think he meant this to prove the point that we have <laughs> way too many laws, but I think it was yeah. almost tongue-in-cheek. It's not like how to really become, how to go well, to prison. You could use it that way. I think he meant it tongue-in-cheek. Uh, I, I think Soros could. DAs could use this. <laughs> uh, that's true. Uh, Mike, welcome. <laughs> hey, Glenn. Thanks for having me back. You, you know, bet. I, I'm actually offended. I'm offended that you think it was tongue in cheek. I spent all this time <laughs> illustrating the best ways to become a federal criminal, and you think it's a joke. I mean, this is well, like hard work. <laughs> well, I I will say uh, transporting a dirty or leaky egg. <laughs> oh yes, that that yes. makes me a criminal. Yeah, no, it's uh, it is called a restricted egg in true classic federal government form. They've given it a highly technical name, but if you read the code and you get right down to it. What they've prohibited and made a federal crime is just moving around in, quote, interstate commerce with a dirty egg. And the definition of a dirty egg, in case you're confused, is actually written down in a separate regulation, and it is an egg with dirt on it. So that, that <laughs> clarifies it for all of us. An egg <laughs> with dirt on it. Now, do I have to cross state lines for this to be a weapon of mass destruction? I have great news for you yeah. which is that the federal government in all of its wisdom has developed the notion of interstate commerce to not require interstate anything. Um, <laughs> and so that goes okay. way back to a Supreme Court decision. Yes. Wickard versus Filburn. Yeah. And basically it says, look, if it's in state. Uh, it can still be interstate because, you know, look, everything is ours and everything affects everything else. And so all of these federal regulations that you would think require interstate movement really don't. They just OK. Is it, is it important enough for the federal government to get interested? Right. OK. So if I go to the store and I accidentally, you know, break an egg on the way to the car and mm -hmm. I don't call in the hazmat team to get rid of that egg, I just transport it to my house. I'm a federal yeah, well, criminal. Your first call should be to me, Glenn. I will represent you free of charge anytime you <laughs> break an egg. But yeah, and then I will come and we'll, you know, we'll do a proper session. We'll make you a, a high level cooperator on the, the cracked eggs at your local grocery store. I remember there was something in your book about uh, spoons because of this. I, I thought immediately my grandmother would be a, a massive federal criminal. Because of her yeah. little, she, she has to have those like these little like World's Fair spoons, no, a mini spoon, <laughs> little yeah. mini spoon rack. Uh, yeah, look was, out, yeah. Mister Felon! It's, it's true. It's the first thing I thought of too. Is like who has miniature spoons, and it's always grandmothers. I yes. think it's a dying breed. But you're right. It, it's a. It's been a federal crime for a long time to mail or transport a miniature spoon because <laughs> the government is convinced that unless you can affirmatively prove otherwise. In other words, the burden is on you to prove a legitimate use for your miniature spoon. They presume it's because you're going to use it for drug use. And in fact, there was this robust testimony before Congress when the law was getting passed by a woman named Joyce Nalepka. And she said she was so proud to announce she had just gotten off the phone with the CEO of McDonald's who had promised to stop distributing the McSpoon coffee stirrer because this would stem the tide of people using it to snort cocaine. So oh my it gosh. is still forever a federal crime to transport miniature spoons. I have to tell you, <laughs> now this would be wrong to do, and maybe even a federal crime. I don't know, but you would know. Uh, I'm very tempted 
to go to a you know some sort of a secondhand store where they got plenty of these things from all of our grandmothers, <laughs> and then just drop them in a car of somebody who I really don't like, <laughs> then yeah. whistle blow and have that spoon confiscated. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, I I think we should probably check Biden's garage. I, there's probably a, a collection of uh, miniature spoons. Well, they won't arrest. Like yeah, but they won't arrest him. He's <laughs> he can have all the spoons. He could be he could do a video of him mailing individual spoons to every resident in America, and he wouldn't get busted. My guess is too, if the, if Hunter Biden has a bunch of miniature spoons, they actually probably are used for drugs. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm saying probably, mm. probably. So uh, they have a they have an ability to wave their hand and say these are not the spoons you're looking for. Right. So you know what's uh, uh, amazing is this is the way, and people don't understand this. This is the way dictators become dictators and all powerful um mm-hmm. they are there's so many laws on the books you know just show it's stalin used to or stalin's kgb head used to say show me the person i'll show you the crime and yeah. that, no, that, that's exactly right right so uh yeah. i mean if they want to get you you don't really have to because even like with the epa and everything that they've just thrown all these things on the books mm-hmm. you could they could get you for anything well, that's exactly right. I mean, it, it, it actually doesn't matter what's a crime and what's not a crime anymore, because my book and my project has always sort of identified that there virtually is nothing that isn't a crime. There, there, we have so many regulations, 300,000 federal regulations that have a criminal penalty associated with them, that what, what, what actually happens is Congress and the regulators, they abdicate all of their crime-making authority to the prosecutor, to the enforcer. So Every single criminal prosecution at that point is a product of prosecutorial, quote, discretion. But that that becomes a problem because there's no uniformity. There's no actual, you know, what it says on the seal that that's not justice. That's that's win, you know, and, mm. and, and so that becomes a that becomes a power big problem because they can pick the defendant first and then figure out the crime later. So is this why you started writing this? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I started writing it because when I was writing sentencing memos for folks that had been prosecuted, I started trying to point out to the courts and say, look how ridiculous it is that my client is facing 20, 30 years for this, because he could just as well be facing 20 or 30 years for, you know, transporting miniature spoons or bringing a dirty, you know, rake across state lines or throwing away melons without having a good reason. And, what? Uh, you know, <laughs> wait, wait. Oh, what? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the, the Produce Destruction Act. You know, if, if you have melons, interstate melons, and you throw them away for no good reason, that's a federal crime. So, I. I oh, man, I, I am I, tossing all perfectly yeah. good melons <laughs> in, into Susan, Sarander's, Susan Sarandon's dumpster this weekend. <laughs> but that's exactly it. I mean, the. The problem was I wanted to illustrate, and I dedicated my book to Congress because I think, you know, it's a funny book, but the jokes are all theirs. And I I basically wanted them to know, you know, you have to actually see in illustration form what you've done. Because I don't think the lawmakers know what they've done, but they have unleashed this monster federal code. Well, I think, I mean, that's why the RAINS Act, if it's kept in the the, uh, bill for the budget, that was something that... Uh, I know Mike Lee has been pushing for, and he got it in the bill. Hopefully, it will stay there. 
that and the Chevron case is they're huge because it forces that lawmaking ability back to Congress. So if you're stopped and you're charged with leaky egg, (laughs) it'll go to the Supreme Court and it'll be thrown out unless Congress uh, says, yeah, we want to keep that law. Right. Well, that's right. And and look, in in, in his quote uh, on the back of my book, Mike Lee said the scariest part of the book is how many of these crimes were created by bureaucrats, not Congress. Right. So this this all represents a, you, you say Congress, but this is all a massive departure from what the Constitution said Congress should do. Article one, section one. Right? right. They are the lawmakers. But they said, no, you know what? Give it to the executive branch. They, they'll figure it out. And there you have Senator Mike Lee is saying that he finds the scariest part of this. The fact that the agency bureaucrats whose names you don't know, you've never met these people. They're the ones making the crimes, not even Congress. So, you know, I, I saw that Biden, the DOJ, dropped all charges against the Soros-backed Massachusetts DA because she was lying under oath. She was interfering on an election. All things that we know she did, but they just decided, the DOJ has just decided they're not going to charge her with that. Meanwhile, they are charging a guy who had a lit torch uh, because it's illegal to have a uh, a lit object in Virginia that could intimidate. And, uh, you know, he's not I'm not saying he's a good guy, but wait a minute. Hang on just a second. And it's all up to the prosecutors and their discretion. This is completely out of control. Can you get a fair, for instance, in uh, in uh, Washington, D.C.? I don't think you can get a fair trial there. Can you? Well, you know, I'll tell you, D.C., when I was uh, when, when, when I was just becoming a lawyer, I, I clerked for the U.S. attorney's office uh, down there. And, and I remember watching jury trials in the district. And I will say that they had one of the highest uses of jury nullification of any place. But that's that's a far cry. That's sort of the, the day to day criminal prosecution. When it comes to the political prosecution that you're talking about, I think that the the opposite is true. You are seeing a much higher conviction rate and you're seeing a much higher prosecution rate of people for what are purely political reasons. And so I, 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 t- I tend to agree. So on the one hand, yes, in, in D.C., you're going to see a lot more people using jury nullification, which is a good thing. It's basically jurors taking the law back into their own hands and saying we disagree with this. But on the other hand, I think that the wide perception, and this is something I warned about in a Wall Street Journal op-ed back in, you know, 20, uh, I want to say 18, I said the the rise of political prosecution is going to be completely unchecked and it is going to be, you know, more prosecutions we hear about are going to be political ones. Oh, we're already there. Yeah, we're there. Um, I've only got about 20 seconds. So uh, from DEFCON 5 to DEFCON 1, where are we on the scale of danger with our with the FBI and DOJ. No, we're there. I mean, we're there because because at, it, all that matters is trust in the justice system. And I think that's at an all-time low. So when that's at an all-time low, DEFCON is at an all-time high. All right. Thank mm-hmm. you so much. God bless.
And uh, don't care. don't uh, th- thank you for letting me know if I tra- you know, travel with a dirty egg. <laughs> it could be the Only slimmer. Yeah, I was sent up the river with my dirty eggs. Glenn, we just got this in from Lynette. She says, "Dead serious. Currently traveling from Iowa to Nebraska with eggs I didn't wash yet. <laughs> a couple are pretty dirty. Where do I turn myself in after uh, I turn, deliver them to my eighty year old mother? Just." <laughs> Just give us your address, stop your car, give us your GPS coordinates, we'll send in the feds.